It's been an incredible day of worship together as a church family, and I'm looking forward to this service as well. This is Thanksgiving week, obviously, and so it's a, it's a time when you have these two things in tension. We look at our screens and look at the news of today, and there's so much craziness and terrible things happening, wars, people held in hostage that we need to be praying for, uh, even down to the local city, state level, our neighborhoods. And in spite of all the, the bad, there is so much to be thankful for. Amen? And I hope and pray that you will take advantage of this week to just pause, reflect, do whatever it is that you do to get alone with the Lord. Though I want to encourage you to do this with family as well or friends as well. And just talk about what you're thankful for. Um, have the discipline of seeing God in the midst of difficulty. I'm so thankful to be your pastor. I'm thankful for what God is doing at this church uh, at this time, and, and what a wonderful season it is to be here at Johnson Ferry. We are wrapping up a sermon series today in the parables, and we're looking at Matthew chapter 18 today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 18. And the parables have been interesting, at least for me, to, to teach. I've been reminded that Jesus had some of his hardest teachings in the parables. And, and when I say hardest, I don't necessarily mean the hardest to understand, but often parables are like a, a punch in the nose. And parables were often told to people who didn't believe. I don't know where you stand with the Lord today, if you're a believer, if you're not a believer. But Jesus used parables to make a point. How's the condition of your heart? The parables never meant for you to walk away and go, man, I need to do better to earn God's love. I need to do more so that God will somehow be affirming of me. And we live in a very performance-oriented culture, so it's our tendency to hear the parables in that tone. But the parables are all about exposing what's in your heart and then responding in a way that is in line with the character of God. And today is yet another hard teaching, not hard to understand, but hard to do as we talk about forgiveness. In 2015, a very troubled young man, well, he was 21, not that young, walked into a church in Charleston, South Carolina. The church was nicknamed Mother Emmanuel. It was the uh, Emmanuel Episcopal African Methodist, uh, excuse me, Athen, Af uh, I can never get that right, African Methodist Episcopal Church, I believe that's right. Anyways, and there were nine individuals who were having a Bible study. And this young man, acting as though he was interested in the Bible, attended it with them. Now, what they did not know about this young man is that he was troubled. He was a white supremacist. And somewhere near the end of that study, pulled out a firearm and ended the lives of all nine of those individuals. They called it the Charleston Massacre, the Charleston Church Shooting. As horrific as the details were, what was equally stunning was the courtroom. When family member after family member of the deceased, people whose beautiful mothers and fathers were taken from them, sisters and brothers, one by one, 
pleaded with this young man to go to the Lord forgiveness, and then they said the most powerful statement, we forgive you. Now, that's not sugarcoating what they went through. That's not to say that justice did not need to happen in the way that it did, but they forgave him. In fact, one of the sons later in an interview said this. He said, you know, as in our culture, the narrative of forgiveness is that you're weak. I think what he means by that is that people think if you forgive, then you let people get away with stuff. But I've realized that forgiving is so much tougher than holding a grudge. It takes a lot more courage to forgive, hear that, than it does to say, I'm gonna be upset about whatever forever. It, it takes more courage to forgive. I think that's true. We live in a day where people don't know how to deal with their anger or it comes out in all kinds of destructive ways. It's like a crock pot or one of those instant pots, you know, where pressure builds and, and all this anger, resentment builds and explodes into a culture of anger, road rage, a cancel culture where if you disagree with me, I am not only gonna disagree, I'm gonna do everything I can to erase you and to shut you down. That, that's the spirit of the age. And, and it's not helpful to us, it hurts us. In fact, there are studies that prove that people who walk around with bitterness and resentment actually have heart issues and other health issues. I don't know who said the statement, but it has always stuck with me. They said this. They said, resentment is like eating poison and waiting for the other person to die. Think about that. Often that person doesn't even know that they hurt you, but you're hurt, you're bitter, you're resentful, and you think if I just kind of bottle this up and just stay mad, then it's gonna kill them. Actually, what it does is it kills you. This is not a new phenomenon. It may come out in different ways, but people since the beginning of time have struggled with, what do I do when someone hurts me? What do I do when someone harms me, abuses me? Jesus dealt with that issue with his own disciples. And we're gonna look at that in Matthew chapter 18. If you have your copy of the Bible in front of you, the scriptures, I want you to look at verse 21, and we're gonna go through verse 35 today, but just to set the story up, we're gonna to listen to a question that Peter asks. I'm always so grateful for Peter because he asked the questions that we would ask if we were there. And Jesus is gonna to reply to him with an answer and then a parable, and it's in that parable that we are gonna draw lessons for what we do when people hurt us, when they injure us. So let's look at that together. If you have it and if you're physically able, stand up. Matthew 18, 21, and 22. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how many times shall, I, shall my brother sin against me and I still forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 77 times. Or your translation may say 70 times seven. This is a time when Jesus is talking about interactions within specifically the body of Christ. And just right before this, he had dealt with 
how does the church handle it when people sin? And so Jesus, and Peter's asking a normal question, you know, what, what do I do when someone sins against me? I mean, how many times do I have to forgive him? Well, Father, that's our question, God. How many times? And what's it look like to forgive? Lord, would you teach us today? My hunch is that there are a lot of people here today who struggle with unforgiveness, struggle with hurt, seeds of hurt that were planted decades ago. And they have grown up into large shrubs and trees. And they're just lodged in our heart. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us not only to learn what is your heart when it comes to forgiveness, but, Lord, release us from the chains that bind us to unforgiveness and set us free. That's our prayer today. And we'll pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys have a seat. So it's not a bad question. I mean, Peter's going, how many times do I have to forgive? The rabbis traditionally taught that you had to forgive up to three times. Makes sense? Three strikes, you're out. But Peter's thinking, no, no, no. I'll up the ante. How about double it and add one? Seven. I mean, how many times she's up to seven times? He's probably thinking, that's pretty good, right? Seven times. And Jesus replies by saying, no, 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 not, not seven times, Peter. But then... Now, my translation says 77. The actual phrase is something like 70 and 7. Some of your translations say 70 times 7 or maybe 77. But Jesus is saying it's a lot more than you want it to be. And in some ways, he's not just talking to Peter, he's talking to us because we struggle with anger and unforgiveness. We struggle with being mad at us. We struggle with harming one another and letting our tempers out on one another. I mean, for some of you, the craziest time of the, of the week is when you come to church on Sunday morning. I mean, it's Sunday, right? You're going to church and you, you have that fight with your spouse on the way to church and your kids are possessed by demons and they're acting crazy. And then, and then you get to this god-awful parking lot, and then you can't find a space anywhere, and you're cursing God, you're cursing people, you're walking the door. How you doing? Oh, we're doing great. Praise Jesus. So glad to be here at church today. All hail King Jesus. You get out of church. Anyways, back to what I was saying. Back, back to it. I'm just talking about me. I don't know what your Sundays are like. But that, that's what we do. And, and we all have this just stuff in our heart, and it forms. It's like, you know, like if you pick a scab over and over again, it just starts to bleed, and then it heals for a while, then you pick it again, and it bleeds again. And, and we think we're doing great, but we all have these scabs that, that we just keep picking, and we fester. And I've seen in church a lot of conflict like that. As a pastor, I've seen people who go out of their way to avoid someone else in the same church because of past hurt, and resentment, and bitterness. Certainly I've seen that in the lives of couples and families. So, so we need to hear this just as much as his followers did, did then. Now our world doesn't have a lot to teach us when it comes to forgiveness. And if they do, it's usually very selfish, meaning it's all therapeutic. The reason that you need to forgive someone of all these hurts done to you is because this is how you're going to find healing for you. Now, that sounds good, and there's nothing wrong with that. We need to find healing for ourselves. 
But if we're a follower of Jesus, we not only care about our health, but we are called to love our neighbor well. So if, if our definition of forgiveness doesn't involve loving our neighbor, then we haven't enacted forgiveness in the way that God wants us to. Jesus was all about forgiveness. The gospel is all about forgiveness. Peter's problem was not that he got the number wrong. It was that he put a number on it at all. And whether the answer is seven, 490, 77, Jesus is saying, it's way more than what you think when you truly understand how much you've been forgiven. Now, anytime you talk about forgiveness, you can already hear the yeah buts, the look. I mean, it's one thing to laugh about a little spat on the way to church, but pastor, if you, if you knew my story, if you knew my situation, if you knew the stuff that I've been through, you, you wouldn't pretend like forgiveness is just that easy. And I'm not pretending like forgiveness is easy. Now, we're gonna talk about what forgiveness is to some extent, but let's also, just for clarity, talk about what forgiveness isn't. Forgiveness isn't forgetting. It isn't always trusting, and it isn't always reconciling. Sometimes you hear that, right? To forgive is to forget. That's not the way that God looks at forgiveness. God deals with what caused that pain sufficiently. And sometimes in the name of forgetting, it's just our tendency to want to avoid conflict and not deal with the issue that we've swept under the rug. You, you can forgive someone, that doesn't mean you necessarily forget what they did, which goes to the second part, forgiveness doesn't mean trusting. If someone steals money from you, you are called to forgive that person, but I would suggest you not lend money to that person again until, until they earn back your trust. See, I, I can forgive them and not trust them. And in the same way, forgiveness isn't always reconciliation. Reconciliation is at the heart of God. That's what he wants. God longs for people who are at odds to come together with Christ as the glue that, that binds them together. But let's be honest, that's not always possible because sometimes the other party doesn't want to reconcile. So forgiveness isn't just sweeping things under the rug. Forgiveness isn't just pretending like it didn't happen. And, and I'll go even one more extreme just to talk about issues of, of abuse. I've seen this too. I'll use a hypothetical situation, but let's just paint a hypothetical situation. Let's say you have an abusive husband. It isn't always a husband, by the way, but let's just say in this instance it is, and he has a pattern of usually getting drunk, which tends to happen, and then he becomes abusive to his wife, and then he wakes up the next morning and he feels bad about it, and then he kind of spiritually manipulates her. Why don't you forgive me? I mean, Jesus said forgive Why can't you forgive me in this pattern? Surfaces over and over and over again. God's definition of forgiveness is never just pretending that there's no hurt, there's no pain. Yet, whatever happens to us, though it's not easy, God calls us to forgive. Romans 12 says it like this. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. To whom are you supposed to be at peace with? What's those two words? Say it together. All people. Yeah, all people. And he said, so far as it depends on you, which tells me something. 
You can have people that hurt you, but let me remind you this, you will never stand before God and give an account for what someone else did to you. But you will one day stand in front of God and give an account for what you did with what they did to you. And he says, as far as it depends on you, with whatever control, whatever influence you have, be at peace with all people. And the only way to do that is to learn to truly forgive. So Peter asked, I mean, how many times do, do I need to forgive them? And Jesus, as he often does, answers with a parable. So we're gonna look at this parable and discover what his main point is through this made-up story. And then we're gonna just look at our own hearts and go, how are we doing with what Jesus teaches us in this parable? So let's look at this together. Verses 23 to 27, Jesus tells a story. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his master commanded that he be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the master of the slave felt compassion and he released him and he forgave him the debt. Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like. A lot of his parables were about what does life look like in the kingdom of heaven? This is the ideal. You're not gonna find this in the world. You're not gonna find this apart from the Holy Spirit's work in the world. But in the kingdom of heaven, let me tell you what it looks like to live as a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. And he paints a picture that we got a king, he's got a bunch of slaves, a bunch of workers. And we're not told how he racked up this debt, but this one slave owed, was it, 10,000 talents. You know how much money that is, 10,000 talents? So a denarius was a day's wage. And so a, a talent was 6,000 denarii. So take whatever you make per day, multiply it times 6,000, that's a talent, and this dude owed 10,000 of those to his master. Jesus is basically saying, this, this guy owes a gazillion dollars. And you're supposed to laugh. You're supposed to laugh because this is almost like a made-up amount of money, and Jesus is making a point with the story. And because he owes so much money, if he doesn't pay it back, well, there's going to be a penalty. And in those days, they had debtor's prisons. In fact, in early America, there were debtor's prisons, where if you couldn't pay back a sum that you had racked up a debt, we'd just put you in prison. I bet that would fix the debt crisis today. Anyways, but... And this, this family was going to suffer a penalty because of his inability to pay back the debt. The wife and the children and all he had will be gone. And so what's he going to do? He comes up with the plan. Here's what I'll do. He goes back to the king and he, he falls on the ground and his plan is this. If you'll just have patience with me, I'll repay you everything. Now you're thinking, man, you owe 10,000 talents. You, you couldn't pay that back in a million lifetimes. And what did the master do? Verse 27, three things. He felt compassion, he released him, and he forgave him the debt. 
Now, if you're this slave and you've been given this incredible mercy, incredible grace by this master, don't you think that would impact how you would treat others who maybe, I don't know, you had something against them? Let's see what he does. Verses 28 through 30. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. Now, hold on. Where have we heard that before? Oh, wait, that's what he said, remember? Well, we remember what happened to him. Certainly, he's going to do the same thing, right? So verse 30, but he was unwilling and went through him in prison until he would pay back what was owed. Jesus here, almost in a silly way, is making a comparison. This one guy owes 10,000 talents, and he was given grace and mercy and forgiveness. This other guy has a genuine beef. I mean, someone owes him 100 denarii. Imagine, take whatever you make per day, multiply it times 100, and that's what he owes him. And that's no insignificant amount of money, but it could be paid back, right? I mean, you take a couple Dave Ramsey classes, you eat red beans and rice for a little bit, you know, you, you, you work a little, I mean, you could pay it back. It would be hard. You might have to sell a car or something, but I bet you could pay it back. And yet, he was giving none of the forgiveness that he had been given. So people see this. Verse 31. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their master all that had happened. And then summoning him, his master said to him, you wicked slave. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And here's the question. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? That's the question, isn't it? I mean, you've been forgiven so much. Should you not forgive him? Well, there was a price to be paid, verse 34. And his master moved with anger handed him over to the torturers until he would repay all that was owed to him. In 35, Jesus turns the mirror on to us. He's like, okay, let's come out of the parable story, out of the fairy tale land of king and and all that. Let's just, just talk about you. Verse 35. My heavenly father, will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Now, this should bother us a little bit, right? Because, I mean, in the story, the master's like this, you know, vengeful, gives over to the torturers, and there's punishment to be made. Is that what he's saying? Like, if, if, if I don't forgive, then then God's gonna torment me? Is that, is that what he's talking about? I, I don't think based on the rest of scripture that Jesus is somehow putting some condition on your salvation. Like, if you do this, then God will do that. If, if you are 
forgiving, then God will forgive you. If you are humble, then God will be humble to you. If you just love God, then he'll love you. If you're, and then we know fill in the blank with all the ifs, then. No, the good news of the gospel is that you don't deserve it. I think what Jesus is probably saying in this text, and I don't want to put words in his mouth. I think what he's getting at is to say this. If, if you don't forgive others for what they've done to you, it could be, maybe not, but it could be an indication that you haven't truly understood and received the forgiveness of God. And maybe that's the punch in the nose of this parable. To say your understanding of who God is and his nature to forgive and the gospel itself will be reflected in how you treat others who have harmed you in the way that you've harmed God. So we, we gotta talk about that. What, how does forgiveness connect itself to the gospel? So much could be said here, but there's a couple points I think are really important to be made based on this parable. The first point is this, we are in debt to God because of our sin. We are in debt to God. This man owed 10,000 talents, so do we. We so often in our culture, we minimize sin, we trivialize sin. Like, I mean, who doesn't act like that? Who doesn't, who doesn't lie? Who doesn't cheat? Who doesn't steal? Who doesn't look at pornography? Who doesn't, who doesn't envy your name? Who doesn't, I mean, everyone does that. Big deal. You know who it's a big deal to? It's a big deal to God. And we all do it. I do it. You do it. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we are in debt to God because of our sin. I think about sin being like a credit card. You know, every time you lie, swipe. You cheat, swipe. Envy of that person, swipe. Curse that person, curse God, swipe. And, and then before you know it, you look at your bill and you got this huge bill of all these charges and you're thinking, I, what do I do with these charges? Which gets to the second part of the gospel and forgiveness, which is that we do not have the means to pay it back. That's the bad news. I mean, this guy thought, if you'll just have patience with me, I will repay you 10,000 talents. There is not a chance in the world this guy could pay back that amount of money. And did you know there's not a chance in the world that you could pay back God for the sins that you've committed? That's why a lot of people think, hey, we get to heaven one day, there's a big scale. As long as the bad, you know, the good stuff outweighs the bad stuff, you're good to go. Let me tell you something. There is never enough good stuff that you could do. Now, good stuff is good. Keep doing good stuff. But good stuff never erases the sin problem that you have, which is why we need that reminder. Good people don't go to heaven. Bad people don't go to heaven. You know who goes to heaven? Forgiven people go to heaven. And that gets to the good news of the gospel, which is this third point, which is God has graciously forgiven our debt in Jesus Christ. I love that, Romans 3, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So when we understand how much we have been forgiven, that when Jesus died on the cross, when Jesus rose from the grave, when Jesus gave his spirit to us, he was doing everything needed to forgive us and to set us free and put us on a new path. When Jesus did that, it changed everything about us. So we go back to the issue of forgiveness. And here's the issue. 
In fact, you might even summarize this whole parable with this very simple to say, yet hard to do teaching, and it's this. Christians forgive because we have been forgiven. I mean, that's, that's it, that's the teaching right there. Christians forgive. Why do we forgive? Because we have been forgiven. And we are to love God and to love our neighbor and even want the best for our neighbor because God has given us his best. But how do you forgive? Again, easy to say, but how, how do you forgive when people have hurt you? Jesus talked a lot about forgiving. Sometimes he just made statements like, hey, forgive your brother, like he does here, Sermon on the Mount, other places. There are two places where Jesus actually gets a little bit into technique. And drawing from all the scriptures, there's a lot to be said about how to forgive. In fact, we have a support group here at Johnson Ferry, one of our many support groups called Fresh Start, and they should actually teach you how to forgive somebody. But what did Jesus say about forgiveness? Jesus never said it's easy. He didn't say it's some like feeling you have. Sometimes you forgive someone and you don't feel different immediately. But what's it look like to forgive people? I think there are two teachings that he gives and both of these are important to remember when we are forgiving one another. The first is in Mark 11, the second is in Luke 17. So the Mark 11 one, I'll say it like this. Jesus says, hey, you need to release this person to God. Release this person to God. And that often happens in your prayer life, Mark 11. And whenever you stand praying, so you come to church, you're praying, or at home praying, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you for your offenses. So forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you for your offenses. So what Jesus is saying is, hey, this begins in the prayer closet. This begins when you're worshiping the Lord. You know, if you're worshiping here and you're saying all hell King Jesus, which is awesome, but you know in your mind that you are harboring hate or bitterness or envy or, you know, hatred towards somebody else, you need to deal with that. And part of your worship means confessing, God, I need to forgive this person. I have been so greatly forgiven because of you. I need to forgive this person. So whether they know it or not, whether they know they hurt you or not, whether you express to them, Jesus is saying in this teaching, release them to God. But you also need the second thing Jesus said, which is that you need to accept their repentance. In Luke 17, he says it like this. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. Now, we like that part of the verse. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns you seven times saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And we need both, don't we? I mean, if it's just the first teaching, then it's like, I can just do all this in my heart and I don't, have to I don't have to talk to that person, I don't have to deal with that person, but you know, God, I'm, you know, I'm working on this in my heart and that's part of it. But other here, if, if, we don't, if we don't have this part, then we think, well, I'm only gonna forgive you when you ask for forgiveness. And until then, there's no way I'm forgiving you. You've gotta ask me and then I will, but until then, no way. 
And we need both, don't we? Regardless of where they ask, we are to pray to the Lord and say, God, I forgive them. And then when they do ask, because of what we pray to the Lord about, we are to forgive them. Now, all morning long, I have seen a number of people on this campus who at times struggle with forgiveness or even unforgiveness. And I want us to think about how how is your heart with forgiveness? Are you struggling with unforgiveness? You know, I didn't do this at the beginning of this message. I probably should have, and I bet you've done it anyways. But I I want you to think about somebody in your life that is that person that just for whatever reason, they just, they just grind you down. Maybe they've hurt you. Maybe some little just drops of like a little spigot of water just throughout the years. And maybe they've hurt you in some way. I don't know. But think about that person. And I wonder, have you truly forgiven them? I mean, have you? There are ways that we can test this. And I I love, I read a couple years ago, a blog by a pastor by the name of Ron Edmondson. I had these in my notes and I thought, these are great. He calls them tests of forgiveness. And he has five tests. I'll go through these fairly quickly. And for each one, I just want you to ask yourself when it comes to that person, and you know the person I'm talking about, that person, have I truly forgiven them? Here's some ways to know. Five tests. The first one he calls the first thought test. What is the first thought that comes to your mind when you think of this person? And and if it starts with anger and you being mad and bitter and it stays there and that didn't go away very quickly, it could be an indication that you have not really forgiven them. A lot of us have a tendency to store up wrongs. You know, 1 Corinthians 13, that beautiful passage on love that we read at all kinds of weddings, which most bride and groom have no clue what it means, but it sounds pretty. So we read them at weddings. One of the things it says in there, actually that whole 1 Corinthians 13 is not about romantic love. It's about love within the church. But anyways, it says in there about love that love keeps no record of wrongs. And a lot of y'all are really good at keeping records of wrongs. Some of y'all are like sin accountants, right? I mean, you always ready to give an audit. And, and, the, and you may think, I've dealt with that. I've, dealt, I've forgiven that person. I've moved on. And then you see them, and all that comes back to you again. And I think that's a normal, natural thing. And maybe that's why Jesus said you can do it 490 times, because it's like, yet again, I need to forgive them. Number two, here's a test, uh, the opportunity to help test. If, if they called you tomorrow and said, I need some help, would you help them? Now you're thinking, I'm a nice person. Of course, I'm going to help them. If I was the last person on the earth, then I would help them. But would you really help them? Now, I'm not suggesting that if this is someone who has harmed you or abused you in some way that you need to subject yourself to harm or abuse. It's just a hypothetical question. For most of us, it's not that extreme in terms of the hurt that we've encountered. But would you help them? And would you do it joyfully? Or would you manipulate them with your help? Or your help to some, prove some kind of point? 
Whatever your forgiveness looks like before the Lord, it needs to not only love God in the way you forgive, but also love your neighbor. Here's a third test. These are fun, by the way, aren't they? Aren't these great? All right, number three, the positive thoughts test. In other words, can you come up with anything good to say about this person? Because in spite of what they've done to you, in spite of the harm they caused you, I bet if you could sit there for a while, you could come up with something good to say about this person. In, in my house, um, oftentimes, like most kids, I'll have you know, kids that fight with one another and three girls, so it's a different combo each day, you know, whichever one is mad at the other one. And, and sometimes, not all the time, because sometimes I'm in there too, but sometimes I play the role of peacemaker. And they hate this, but oftentimes at the end of a fight, we kind of talk through it. I'm like, I want you to say something that you appreciate about your sister. And they hate that. Don't you love having a pastor as a dad? They hate that. You know, say something you appreciate your sister. And the answers are like, I mean, like you're good at breathing. Uh, I mean, you know, it's, it's like a stretch, right? Uh, and, and, and the reason I say that is because maybe that's just the step that you need to take. Even the smallest of things, can you say something positive about that person that has hurt you? And let me give you one other step with that. Will you do it publicly? Will you do it publicly? And that mean you have to go to them and say, hey, let me tell you five things I love about you, though maybe it would be great to say it's something that you appreciate about them. But even to your friends, you know, you think that you're not being petty and you think, well, I've moved on from that. But then someone comes up to you and brings with that person and, and they, they don't really, you know, they don't know them that well. They say, hey, that's such a nice person. I'm what a wonderful person. You're like, yeah, that's because you don't know. <laughs> and then pff, all comes up again. You just throw up all that stuff. How are you doing with forgiveness? Number four, the revenge test. Do you constantly think about how you could get even with this person? Now, this is so important. Forgiveness with God involves both his love and his justice. In other words, God's forgiveness is never about simply letting people get away with things. In fact, Romans tells us that we should never repay um, evil to people because vengeance is of the Lord and vengeance belongs to God. In other words, I can trust that God knows the situation. I can trust that God knows their heart, my heart, what the real truth is, and God is gonna deal fairly and competently because of his nature as being the perfect God in the universe who sees all things and knows all things and knows what's in everyone's best interest. God will deal with them. It is not my job to be the avenger. It is not my job to bring about revenge. In fact, Jesus said, when someone slaps you on the cheek, turn the other cheek also. Why do you say that? Not because it's not a big deal that someone slapped you, but he's saying it's not your job to fix that. That is your heavenly father's job. You need to release them to God. And if all you do is refer, rehearse all the things you wanna to do to hurt them or get back at them or revenge against them, you have not truly forgiven your brother. You haven't. Christians forgive because we have been forgiven. Now, this is a hard teaching, but we need to deal with this. And so number five, we'll call it the failure test. Do you secretly want them to fail? 
Do you want them to fail? I mean, you would never, you would never say it like that. But there's just a part of you that just secretly hopes that, I don't know, something kind of bad happens to them. So I, in the name of confession, I, I don't know how you hear texts like this. I have to deal with it in my life. So I'm just, I deal with this as a husband, a father. I deal with this as a pastor. And I can think about all kinds of ways that I struggle in my own life. A couple years ago, uh, I was in another city. There was a pastor down the street and he had kind of gained a reputation and a lot of people liked him, his church was growing. And I thought he was just kind of slimy, right? It was just, I didn't, I didn't like him. I knew some stuff he was doing that I didn't think was really filled with integrity. And he just kind of drove me crazy. And I just harbored just, just I don't know, bitterness, envy, jealousy. I don't know what it was called. And then the worst part was when uh, some dear friends who were part of our church started going to his church. Now, in that interesting pronoun, our church, his church, my church, look, this isn't my church. This is Jesus' church. And we're all on the same team. We're all in the same kingdom. And as God got a hold of my heart with that whole deal and challenged me not just to let that go, but to pray prayers of blessing over him. God, would you increase that ministry? God, would you bless that church? God, would you continue to use that church to reach people even beyond what we're doing? And just little by little, step by step, in my own way, again, I'm dealing with this as a pastor. You gotta deal with this in your own context. God, little by little, began to just take, you know, seeds of bitterness and jealousy and rivalry and just, just start to pull out weeds and replace it with the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. And, and that's what started to come out of me, blessing. Have you gotten there yet? How you doing with forgiveness? I know that there are people in this room that are struggling with forgiveness. Maybe against a coworker, a family member, I mean, it's a holiday season. Maybe you're gonna see that person. And if you're honest, you're going, I need some help here. I wonder if that's you. And it would be a huge privilege of mine just to pray a prayer over you if you're struggling with unforgiveness. Now, my hunch is that to some degree, everybody in this room struggles with that to some degree. But I wonder how many of you would indicate you're, you're, you're talking to me. And so what I've done all morning, I'm gonna do one final time before we wrap it up. And I'm gonna ask in just a second, if you would like to be prayed for, for you to stand up right where you are. Not everyone stands up, but we've had in every service dozens of people that stand up and say, hey, I'm just, I'm struggling, I, I need some help with unforgiveness. And I would be honored to pray for you. So right now, if you'd like to be prayed for, would you just stand up? You're saying, hey, that's me, you're talking to me. Be bold, be courageous. Yeah, thank you. Several people, several people all over. That's good. A lot of people probably struggle. Don't, don't worry about what your neighbor thinks. Just you're struggling with it. You need prayer. Love to pray for you. Oh, Father, we have been forgiven so much, and yet we forgive so little. 
And so, Lord, I pray that you would just minister to these who have stood up and are standing right now before you with open hands saying, God, work in my life. And Lord, would you, in a way that only your spirit can, would you just start to rip out all of that junk, all, all of that bitterness and envy and hatred and anger and get evenness and all, all that stuff, Lord, that the devil loves, loves that is buried in our heart. And God, would you fill it with love and fill it with joy and fill it with peace and fill it with kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and goodness and self-control, that we could be like Jesus who looked down from the cross and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, would we be like Jesus in forgiving people who often don't know what they're doing? God, we need you, Lord. And I pray that you would just set these people free. Lord, break them from the captivity of a bitterness that is in their heart, Lord. And would they live for Jesus? Oh God, would we all live for Jesus? We love you, Father. I pray your blessings upon these people. Use them this week. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would, could we have everyone join them? Let's all stand together. Uh, I'd ask that you don't leave unless you got some super emergency to get to. Because we want to end by singing. You know, the worship ends after we're done worshiping. And so we want to end by worshiping. And I love this song. It's kind of an old song. It's called Before the Throne of God Above. It used some old English sentences in there. But here's what I love about it. It's just this picture of standing before the throne of God, remembering that we don't deserve His grace, we don't deserve His mercy, and yet in Christ, He has given us everything. Let's just imagine ourselves standing before that throne, receiving that forgiveness, and let's praise King Jesus. Before the throne 